Go with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. We're going to be reading from verses, or chapter 40, sorry, 1 through 11, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us from the book of Isaiah. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim her, proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries out, says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all the faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, but grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. Forever is a long time. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. I love that. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends to his flock like a shepherd. This is our God. Listen, listen to this part. He tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we proclaim, thanks be to God. If you're new, that's just something we do to say, we love the word, we love the Bible, we love what God has to say in it, and so sometimes I'll say the word of God for the people of God, and the the correct thing to say, or what we often say is, thanks be to God, and we give thanks for this word, for this word for us this morning, because we're in our Advent season, this is our second Sunday in Advent, and last week Sheila preached to us from the the more apocalyptic text that had a a very forward-looking, it was looking towards the second coming of Christ. But this morning, as we prepare to sit with this text from the ancient Hebrew Bible, I have one major question for us. This text comes to us from Isaiah, which is part of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, originally, before Jesus came, was the Hebrew Bible. And this word from Isaiah brings with it a lot of of things, a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions it's going to stir up in us today. It does in me. And so my my one question for us this morning is not an original question. I didn't come up with it. It's not unique to me. John Wesley actually said this question a lot, like in the 18th century, but he's not the only person. And though it's not unique, it's a very important question. It's a question that I ask often to myself and to others, and a question you should ask to yourself and others often. And the question this morning is this. How is it with your soul? How is it? How are things? How is it with your soul? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said? Amen. Every now and then I'm like, I don't know if they're really with me or not, because it's like, mm. all God's people said? Amen. See, worship is participatory. You're not just like sitting there watching some show on the stage. Like, we're in this together. 
This is me and you and all of us. So like if it's an amen, it's not just me, you know, it's, it's all of us, all right? All right? I'm gonna go on now. Okay, so as I said, we're using the lectionary passages, which are the texts that are prescribed to us by this, cha- this calendar that all the churches can use together. And in the lectionary each week, there's an Old Testament, a New Testament, a Psalm, and a Gospel reading. There are four different readings in the lectionary each week. And more often than not, I gravitate towards those gospel readings just because, you know, I love the stories of Jesus and we're Christians and they're just, I just gravitate to those so they're fun. But today I thought it was very important for us to sit with the story of the Israelite community that was living and writing these stories many centuries before the gospels came about. I'd like to show you a painting this morning. Oh, it's already up there. Sweet. So this painting right here um, is, a, is a good personification, representation of a text from Isaiah that actually came from one of the Advent readings for last year. It's from chapter 11, but I think it helps set up our reading for today also. I, um, I think that this, te- this painting kind of shows where the Israelites were emotionally and realistically in their time and in what was going on during these writings. So if you look at this painting, you see the, the, in the forefront this tree stump and a tree stump is a dead tree, right? It's the leftovers. It's not producing. It's not active. It's not even alive. It is a tree that is dead. And this dead tree stump is on the foreground of a background covered with a dead forest. It's desolate, lifeless. There's nothing there. A good portion of the Old Testament is written from this perspective of the Israelites where they feel like they're just lost in the wilderness, lost with, with no hope, lost with nothing. There's just brokenness. And then coming out of this stump is a shoot, a new sprig of life, green leaves. And the artist here is really trying to to bring added detail to this personification of Isaiah chapter 11, which says, a shoot shall come up from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of its roots. If you look closely, it's going to be kind of hard to see, but down here, you actually see it says Jesse. I know it's kind of hard to see from the back. It's really small, but it actually, so we've got the, the roots of this stump is Jesse. If you can kind of see in the stump itself, the word David is inscribed there. And it's this idea coming from the Old Testament that there will be a Messiah, a savior coming from the Davidic line. And if you haven't heard this part of the story, King David was you know, living before the time of Isaiah and he was the greatest king in Israel's history. And he was the king that everybody wanted to be like, and they thought that the king was should, his line should reign forever, and his son Solomon reigned. And, and then a lot of things happened between King David and the time of Isaiah. A lot of things happened. The Israel, the, <laughs> I hear Kevin Carter laughing somewhere. <laughs> and um, the, the country of Israel split into two, and they became a northern and a southern portion. And the northern per- portion was wiped out by the Assyrians, and the southern portion was wiped out by the Babylonians. Like, when I wiped out, I mean, like, their country was destroyed. Think about this in modern context. Their country was destroyed, invaded, and all the people of Israel were cast out of their homeland. It'd be as if Georgia decided to move into Alabama and kick us out, and then we were all living in different places. I don't think that would happen. I think Alabama could hold our ground. But, you know, just for, you know, illustration's sake. And so they kicked out the Israelites from their homeland, and they are in this period called the Exile which is different from the Exodus, which is found in the book, you can guess, Exodus. That's a different story. That's earlier. We're in the exile. The exile is the period of time where the Israelites are kicked out of their homeland. And a lot of prophetic literature, a lot of the prophets, the book of the prophets in the Old Testament, they're written about and during times of exile. 
during this time of Babylonian captivity is often what it's called. And Isaiah is writing to a people who are forced to leave to be refugees all around in the ancient Near East. And Isaiah is a prophet. And the word prophet literally means mouthpiece of God. He is there to communicate what God wants to say to the people. And Isaiah comes to the the people who are without a home, who are helpless, who are dispersed to all corners of the earth. They have no leader. They have no sense of unity. They have no hope. At this point in the story, they are truly a lost people. And so from the mouthpiece of God, this person Isaiah brings a word. And in this painting, it's representing saying, one day there will be a Messiah. There will be new life. There will be hope that comes from the line of David. That was a promise that God made with David. And and Isaiah is saying, God has not forgotten his promises. If you look really closely, if you turn to the side like this, you can see the leaves actually spell Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. It's it's very faint in there. This is a really funny picture. Everybody's doing this right here. (laughs) I didn't even think about that happening. That was awesome. So which means the Messiah will rise up to save God's people. Our text today is set with this similar scenario in mind. It's a hopeless people. We're still in the book of Isaiah, but it's later in the book of Isaiah. The people are still hopeless. They are still like the dead forest in the picture. In today's scripture, we hear God trying to speak to the people through Isaiah and even speak to Isaiah. God tells Isaiah, comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. God is telling through Isaiah and to Isaiah to be a vessel of comfort to the people who are hopeless to bring a word of hope, to tell them that that even though you are lost and hurting, know that God is still with you and that soon God will prepare a way for a new king, for a Messiah, a savior is coming. It should be no shock that the gospel lesson that accompanies our text today was that story about John. The kids did such a good job telling it for us earlier where, where John the Baptist is out in the wilderness proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord. He's fulfilling this Isaiah prophecy. Prepare the way of the Lord. John says, I'm not the Savior, but one who is coming, who is even greater than me. And he's out there in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Isaiah is trying to tell the people that it will not forever be like this. God has not forgotten his promises. Something new will come. That last part of our reading for this morning. See, the Lord God has come with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. You know, during this month of the Christian calendar, our Advent season, we are living in a very interesting dynamic. There's a tension at work, is there not? During our worship planning meetings, I feel like we're having the same conversation week after week about one particular point when it comes to planning the worship service. On the one hand, you have some who are in the group of, we should only sing Christmas songs because it's Christmas time, Morgan Kennedy. And we have (laughs) others, we have others who are like, we can't sing Christmas, it's Advent, Jesus hasn't come yet, Christine Sullivan. And so we have this dynamics. I, I did ask for permission before I just called them out up here. 
But, but you have to, we, we can't sing Christmas songs yet because it's not Christmas time. Technically, according to the liturgical calendar, Christmas is the 12 days after the 25th that lead to Epiphany. To which Morgan will say, well, no one wants to sing Christmas songs after Christmas because Christmas is over. It's not really, but in our minds it is. And Christine will say, well, you can't go sing Go Tell It on the Mountain if Jesus hasn't been born yet. And Morgan will say, he was born 2,000 years ago. Like, this is the conversation we're having, like, week after week. And to be honest, to be honest, I sympathize with both of them. I'm neutral in the battle. Actually, I lean towards the Advent side just a little bit. They know that's true. I lean kind of hard to the Advent side. But it's important to recognize the strange nature of that dynamic between Advent and Christmas, is it not? We are inundated with holiday cheer, with festivals and things on the um, commercials on TV. We're all watching the 25 days of Christmas on ABC Family. Like, we're just, we are in Christmas season. And then we come to church and we're like, wait, despair. They're hopeless. We hold these things in tension, and I think it's important because reading these stories of the Israelites not only help appreciate where they were as a people waiting for a savior, but it reminds us that we too, again, are waiting. As Christians, we do not believe that the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the end of the story. We believe that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Exactly. Christ will come again. And the reason Christ will come again is because things are not as they should be. Like for the Israelites, they were not in a perfect world. They were in a very less than perfect world. But we too find ourselves in a not perfect world. We know Christmas is coming because we've already read the story. We, we know how it ends in the book of the Bible. I mean, we know that, that Christ will come, Emmanuel will be with us, that a baby will be born. And so we want to already start celebrating that fact. And so we have this Part of us, it was to sing Christmas songs. That's the already. But we live in the already and the not yet. We are daily reminded of the not yetness of our world. We know that things are not as they should be. And that is why we hold these things in tension throughout the month of December. Throughout this Advent season and this Advent time, we are already but not yet. We are celebrating and anticipating And friends, if I'm going to be honest, I feel like as I reflect on my life and on the state of the world during this Advent season, I find myself empathizing with Israelites, not just sympathizing, but empathizing. I find myself hoping for God's kingdom to be made fully known on earth as it is in heaven for that second coming, because when that happens, there'll be an end to suffering, an end to oppression, an end to persecution. It's funny, as a preacher, I believe, this is gonna sound kind of metaphysical, maybe a little weird. I just believe that God helps me experience the thing I'm gonna be preaching about in the time leading up to that sermon. And so on sermons that are just gonna be, you know, fun and lighthearted, I just feel, you know, it's been, but sermons, some sermons are a little bit heavier. For me, this sermon is heavier. We're about to go in this next few minutes together as we kind of land this plane. I, I felt the weight of it this week in my own life. For a number of reasons, I was just reminded that I'm a sinner. I sat with my thoughts and reflection at different points throughout the week and this sermon and just in my life and and I kept realizing that I continued to do the things that I wish I didn't. Like Paul said in Romans, it'll be right here in the screen because it sounds kind of confusing. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. 
And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do what I do not, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. As complicated and confusing as that sounds, I think we can all kind of agree with it if we think through it. I know what I should do. I know what is right. I know what I ought to do. But my sinful nature continues to compel me to do the things that I shouldn't. We are very much living in the not yet. And that's what Paul recognizes by saying that we continue to have sin in our lives. Also, during this season, I recognize the not yetness because I'm just sick of hatred, of bigotry, of hurtfulness because of just people being silly, the way we treat each other, the way we are willing to do things that bring suffering on others, the disparity between the different types of human conditions in the world. And blame is pointed right back at me as it is you and all of us. We all perpetuate things that harm others. Sometimes we don't realize it. Sometimes we do. But we can all think of things in our own society, around the world. This should easily be different, yet they're not. Because the powers and principalities at work due to the sin in our life continue to cause harm. We are very much not. We are very much in the not yet. And during this time of the Advent season, I'm also reminded of my own limitations, my own humanity, and the sorrow I feel and have felt at times in life because of my own hopelessness. Have you ever had a season of hopelessness? Like the Israelites, there are a lot of times in our life where we just feel utterly overwhelmed with helplessness, and our helplessness makes us hopeless, does it not? incapable of ending our own suffering. The reason they cried out to God, deliver us, deliver us, O Yahweh, hear our cry, is because they were desperately helpless. And their helplessness caused them to feel hopeless. Have you ever been there? Unable to bring an end to a season of sorrow or suffering? We really like to think we can fix things as humans, don't we? Well, if this is wrong with my kid, I can just go to the teacher and I can just fix that. Or if I have this problem in my house, I can just, you know, I can't and somebody else can come and just fix it for me. Or we can, we can get this fixed. But sometimes there's things in our hearts, in our souls, in our life experience that we just can't fix on our own. And we find ourselves feeling helpless. That leads us to feel hopeless. When I think about those times in my own life, I'm reminded about times where I felt belittled or unwanted. I'm reminded about the times where I've messed up and I felt like a failure. I'm reminded about the times where I wished I could do something, but there was absolutely nothing to be done. Many of you don't know this story, um, but I still think about the passing of my grandfather as probably one of the most hopeless experiences in my life. And it's natural for my, my age for a, you know, grandparents to begin passing away. I don't know many friends who still have all of their grandparents, if any of them. And, and I'm very thankful that my grandmother is like the, the strongest force in my life. If my grandma is going to live forever because our family would fall apart without her. 
But I remember um, her husband, my, my grandfather, we, we called him Dandy, and my grandmother listens to the podcast every week, so love you, grandmother. Um, it was her husband who, who he and I are very close. It's mostly, largely because of him that I'm preaching today, um, not just today, but like in general. He and my youth pastor, Leanne Boykin, had a huge influence on my life, and he was what was called our lay speaking director for our conference, for the Methodist Church. He was a lay person, not clergy, but in a lot of the small rural churches in Alabama, if there's not a pastor on a Sunday, so say if that pastor has to go out of town or is sick, they'll call a lay speaker, or now it's called lay preacher. And that's what he did. He would help coordinate. If, if a small rural church didn't have a pastor, they would call my grandfather, and he would call somebody and get them sent to that church, or he himself would go. And when I was 14, he helped me get trained to be a lay preacher, and I started preaching on Sundays at least once a month, and he and I would travel together, and uh, we'd go to these small country churches, and I'd preach, and, and he'd lead the hymns, or when I learned how to play guitar, I'd lead the music, and he would preach, and it was just fun. It was great. We went to Blue Lake like a thousand times, I think, we, we just spent all this time together, and he had a great personality, just jovial and whimsical, full of jokes, and every, everybody just loved him. He was always trying to do what was right. He, he taught at our, uh, the little Baptist seminary down in Graceville, Florida. I think it's called Graceville Bible College. He, he taught about the Bible, even though he's a Methodist, you know, he's trying to plan the good news to everybody, and he, he, said, he said, you know, I, he, he just wanted to do what God was calling him to do. But it's funny, oftentimes there might be the happiest people in our lives that we don't know what they're struggling with underneath. We don't know um, because we can gloss over the surface of ourselves and other individuals that there might be something, you know, that makes us feel helpless and no one else knows. One day I was at Huntington and I got a call from my friend, uh, I got a call while I was in my friend Tim's dorm room. It was my cousin and she said, you need to get home because something has happened. A dandy has shot himself in the chest and we don't know if he's going to make it. And it was truly a moment of shock. Like what you see in the movies is like, you know, just don't know what to do completely. Like, what do I do? And my friend Tim, I told him what was going on. And he, um, he called into work that day to drive me to Dothan. And we, we got there and my grandfather um, was in the ICU. And he was somewhere between consciousness and unconsciousness and they said he could hear me, but I don't know if they were just saying that to make me feel better. And I got to go in there. And he, he used to always ask me something before we would um, leave each other, before we would part. He'd always say, Woods, what are you supposed to remember? And the answer was who I am, whose I am, and where I'm going. I mean, he, like clockwork. I mean, every time I'd leave to go to school or leave his house, he'd say, who, who, what are you supposed to remember? Who I am, whose I am, and where I'm going. And I remember sitting on a chair next to the ICU table and saying, Dandy, who I am is your grandson. Whose I am is Jesus Christ's. And where I'm going is where you're going to. On to perfection and on to glory. And I walked out of that room and not but a few minutes later, he passed away. And I can say that's the most helpless I've ever felt in my entire life. I can say that that helplessness turned into a season of hopelessness for a while. And as much pain as it brings me to remember that experience, I can't help but think of it during Advent. One of the reasons is because we have that longest night service next week. And it's good for me to be there to remember and pray for him and to pray for our family. That's what I love about that service, that once a year, that's the whole reason we come together to be with God in one place. 
because we still have family gatherings and we still talk about dandy and we laugh and reminisce about all the funny stories about how he used to, look to like to put mayonnaise on everything or how one time he convinced me that a bag of packing peanuts was actually snowman poop. <laughs> exactly. We still go to my grandmother's house, the same one that they lived in my entire life and nostalgic memories just come flooding back. The good memories, the great times. That doesn't mean I don't miss him or it doesn't hurt, but I don't still ask why. When I, when I think about his passing, I'm reminded of what it felt like to be hopeless. I can remember this, I can read the story of the Israelites in a much different way. I believe that when I hear the Israelites cry out to God for a savior, when they cry out because of their desperateness, they want everything to be made right, I can hear their hopelessness and I can empathize in some way. I have not lost my my home, I have not been kicked out, but, but I've experienced loss. I have been that voice crying out to God, remember your people, oh God, remember me, comfort me, please, asking God, oh God, comfort us. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt hopeless or helpless? Are you there right now and are afraid to tell anybody, afraid to share it? I ask you again this morning, how is it with your soul? What are you experiencing in life? I think we get into the habit and the routine of always saying when someone asks how you do and everything's good. When somebody says, hey, how are things? Busy, but good. How are you? Oh, we're fine, we're fine, everything. But deep down, we're desperate, we're helpless, we're hopeless. We're struggling through the things that seem too deep to say out loud. We are grieving the things that we're afraid others will tell us we should be over by now. We are often a lot like the Israelites, and that's why we can sit in this waiting period of Advent, because we too are crying out for a Savior to be with us, to redeem us, to comfort us. So truthfully, I ask you, how is it with your soul? Because that's exactly where the Israelites were, that lostness, that hurting. And in their weariness, God had a word of hope for them. Did he not? Is that not what we read this morning? Even though they had no hope, God was using Isaiah to tell them there is good news. Reminding them that God did not forget his promises. And the same is true for us today. God has not forgotten his people. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Yes, there is still sin in the world and things are not perfect. But Christ will come again. And until that day when all will be ultimately made well, God is sending people like Isaiah into our lives to tell us that God is still with us. God is sending people into our lives to remind us that God has not forgotten his promises, that God is with you in your mourning, that God is with you in your distress. You do not have to feel hopeless because there is God and God loves us. So in this season of Advent, we mourn with the Israelites, we wait with the Israelites, but we also remember that Emmanuel is coming and that God is already in the world too. We hold these things in tension. So if you've experienced loss, God is with you. 
you've sinned, God forgives you. If you are weary, God supports you. If you are broken, God can heal you. That even in this, whatever this is in your life, this that you are struggling through, loss, overwhelmed scheduling, the burden and affliction caused by others, that even in this, God is still with us. God has not forgotten God's promises and tells us comfort. Oh, comfort my people. If you don't have that in your life or if you're not looking for that, hear it right now, this morning. I believe that preaching is the word of God being proclaimed from the Bible. And what I hear from this word for us is that God is with you. How is it with your soul? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are our God and that you seek to comfort us. In our distress, we call out to you. In our hopelessness, we call out to you. In our need, we recognize that you are God and we are not. So come and move in our lives in mighty ways, forgiving us for our sins, redeeming us to be used for your glory on this world. Work in our lives so that we can work in others. Help us to be like Isaiah in others' lives, proclaiming your good news to those who are hurting, those who are lost. We have not done your will. We have rebelled against your love. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. To your son, Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.